Welcome back, everyone. This is Love God and Your Neighbor. I'm Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and I'm so glad that you're here with us again today. Joining us in the studio is the music team, Gerald Roberts, director of music on keyboard, and Jason Wright, our soloist and worship leader. Now, uh, just one announcement. I wanted to let everyone who attends our drive-in services on Sundays at 3.30 um, know that because I'm having gallbladder surgery this Tuesday, the 10th, which next Sunday's service is going to be on the podcast only. The surgeon told me to take it easy and not to go to work for a week. So this is our best option to keep things flowing and keep the spirit moving within all of our lives. But we will be back worshiping in person again on November 22nd, our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving service. So if you're in the area next Sunday, please stop by at 3.30 and worship with us. Now, this message is especially for those who call First Christian Church their home. Please continue to give of your tithes and offerings. The pandemic stretches on and many of you have not been back because you are being especially careful and we support anyone who is being careful. Just remember that our bills still have to be paid each month. So especially if you've made a commitment to give this year, please don't stop. God's ministry is strong and beautiful at First Christian Church, and your giving is one of the things that makes that possible. So if you are a member of our church family or or if you are a faithful listener of this podcast, please consider giving to God through us. You can go to our webpage, www.fccanniston.org. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click the Donate Now button. Choose PayPal, not the credit card option, because it's the only functioning donation option for the time being. We keep working on it and can't get it straight. Otherwise, you can donate by sending a check to First Christian Church, 1327 Layton Avenue, Anniston, Alabama, 36207. Okay. Now, I invite you to gather your elements for communion. Get your bread or crackers, juice or wine, and I invite you to light a candle. Let us welcome in the light of Christ as we come to the Lord with adoration and love. Please pause this recording while you go and get what you need. And don't you think it's time to worship? Amen. We come to the Lord today as people already blessed. We're not blessed with riches, though some of us might be rich. We're not blessed with things, though we might have lots of them. And we're not blessed with worldly strengths, though we are all strong in some way. No, we are blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, by the love of our God and Jesus Christ, and by the fact that we are already citizens of the kingdom of God. Let us worship today giving thanks for all our blessings and let us give ourselves over to the true leader of our country and our world. Will you sing with me our praise hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Crown him, 
tumultuous one for every person in the United States, hasn't it? Let's continue to give it all to God and trust that God hears our prayers, knows our needs, and takes care of us in the best possible way. Let us pray. Merciful and gracious God, many of us come to you weary after a long, fearful, emotional, and contentious election season. There isn't a person in our nation who was aware of the election, who didn't feel anxiety this week. It's almost over now, and we lean into you to restore us, refuel us, and refresh our spirits. Praise you for being with us this whole time and for being with us now. Praise you for blessing us with your love, your wisdom, your patience, your forgiveness, and so much more as we stressed and fretted, obsessed, and worried over the election results. Continue to be with us and with our country as we go into the new year and a new administration. Bless our leaders with a desire to do things according to your will. Help them to work together for the common good, not just their own. Fill them with a desire to create unity within the House and the Senate, as well as with the citizens of these United States. And fill us with a desire to create unity as well. Help us each do our part to spread the love of Christ into the world and to help to create a true peace within our communities. Let there be peace on earth, dear Lord, and let it begin with us. We also ask you to hear the individual prayers and concerns of the members of this worshiping community. We ask you to heal the sick, to comfort the grieving, to encourage the scared, to love the unlovable, to provide for those who don't have enough and to guide each one of us to be there for each other as you are for us. 
We love you, Lord, with all our hearts, and we thank you for your constant presence in our lives. May you find joy in our worship and pleasure in our prayers. Hear us now as we pray the prayer your son taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. John Mason lived a blessed life. He was born into a family with two loving parents and a brother and a sister. He went to the best private school in his town where he made straight A's and won plaques, certificates, and trophies at every award ceremony. He was the star player on his school's basketball team, and he dated the prettiest, nicest girl in school. John had lots of friends and many more who wished they were his friends. His teachers loved him and all considered him to be their prized pupil. After John graduated at the top of his class, he went on to study history and then law at Harvard University. He learned many things and he thrived in the academic environment. While in college, he met the girl of his dreams and he married her. Together, they made a wonderful life, complete with healthy children, a thriving law practice, a beautiful home, and a vacation home in the Hamptons. Yes, everyone called John blessed. Mary Williams, on the other hand, lived a hard life. She was born to an unmarried mother who worked two jobs while jumping from one boyfriend to the next, hoping to find a man who would take care of them. 
Each boyfriend came with his own issues and none of them were good. Mary was a C average student at best and spent most of her time at school trying to blend into the shadows. Kids often made fun of her because her clothes were out of style and threadbare. She didn't have any real friends at school, but she was grateful for the couple of girls who let her sit with them at lunch, even though they made fun of her too. After school, Mary had to start working to help support herself and her mother. College was never a dream of hers, and there was no expectation that she would ever go. So she waited tables at a biker bar, which was the best paying job she could find with her education and skill set. Mary never had nice clothes. She never owned her own car or her own home. She knew what abuse was, and she understood poverty on a physical and spiritual level. And no one ever looked at her and called her blessed. So what does it mean to be blessed? Webster's Dictionary gives one definition as bringing pleasure, contentment, or good fortune. And if that's the definition we're going with, then John was definitely blessed. But Webster gives a couple of other definitions of well as well. It says that blessed means being held in reverence like the saints in the Catholic Church. It also means of or enjoying happiness, specifically Christian happiness, enjoying the bliss of heaven. What circumstances have to be in place for you to look at another and say, that person is blessed? Do they have to have wealth? Do they have to seem happy all the time? Do they have to be beautiful or healthy or strong? Do they have to be educated or wise? Or do they just have to appear to have a good life? When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Karl Marx, the German-born scientist, philosopher, economist, sociologist, journalist, and revolutionary socialist, famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. While conceding that religion served a purpose for people who suffered under a sick society, he said that it ultimately encouraged people to be content in their misery, thus anesthetizing the masses to the injustices of the world. When reading the part of Jesus' sermon commonly called the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, someone might mistakenly take this as proof that Marx was right about religion. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you don't read further than the translated words on the page, you could see this as Jesus telling the poor 
the fearful, the downtrodden, that life may be terrible now, but just wait. In heaven, you will get all of the reward. The thing is, the critics of religion, and specifically Christianity, don't really understand who Jesus was. They don't understand what his life, death, and resurrection were all about. And they don't understand what he was really doing in our text today in his Sermon on the Mount. This section of scripture is traditionally called the Beatitudes. And a Beatitude is a statement declaring certain people to be in a privileged, fortunate circumstance. The initial Greek adjective means fortunate, happy, in a privileged situation, and well off. In a religious context, it means blessed by God. Matthew's Beatitudes are not practical advice for successful living, but are prophetic declarations made on the conviction of the coming and already present kingdom of God. You see, he's not saying that you will be blessed after you die. He's saying that if you are humble, if you crave righteousness, if you value God more than anything else, if you love justice and peace, then you are blessed right now, for the kingdom of God is yours now as well as in the future. Jesus was also talking to people who believed that righteousness equaled blessings on earth. If you were blessed by God, then the results would be evident to everyone. And conversely, if you were not blessed by God, if you were unrighteous, then you would be punished by God in this life. The people had very little understanding of the heaven that Jesus knew. The society Jesus was born into, the society his audience knew, had a tendency to further persecute people in their miserable state because they saw it as proof of their sins. And don't we still do that today? How many people look at people who are homeless on the streets or poor and say, well, just get a job or what's wrong with you or what did you do to deserve this station in life? Are you a thief? Are you a liar? Are you uh, lazy? What's wrong with you? Things have not changed very much in over 2,000 years, have they? But Jesus here turned that worldview upside down. In Jesus' new world and in Jesus' heaven, the persecuted will be rewarded. The grieving will be singled out by God and comforted. The humble will gain everything, but not the conquering heroes. The peacemakers will be lifted up as children of God, and so on and so forth. Rather than encouraging people to be apathetic in an unjust society, Jesus is justifying, as in making things right, an unjust world. He is making things equal. He is bringing the mountains low and the valleys high. He is suggesting a world so completely unlike anything the world had ever imagined before. And he's telling the people that these changes start now that the people of God will start living this life of justice and reaping the benefits now. So what does that look like? How does that work? Well, remember John Mason and Mary Williams? Remember how John had the blessed life and Mary had a wretched life? Well, let's reevaluate for just a second. John Mason seemed to have everything, money, wife, kids, house, car, vacation home, and a successful career. But along with his wild success and charmed life came something else. John suffered under the illusion that all of his success in life was because he was somehow unique and special, that he had earned and that he deserved the luxuries of his life. 
He cherished all of those awards he had won in high school and college, and he thrived on believing that he was smarter and better than other people. He also came to believe that he needed all of his money to be safe, secure, and happy in life. So he left his family behind for hours and days and weeks, depending on the demands of the law firm, and he rarely ever saw them. His relationship with them suffered because all he cared about was billable hours and how many dollars he had in the bank. The idea of being poor terrified him, and the only thing that kept his anxiety at bay was depositing more and more money into his account. John never went to church. After all, why should he? He had done just fine on his own and surely didn't need God. He never gave to the poor unless it coincided with a tax deduction because he figured that they could just get a job if they wanted to eat. He contemptuously stepped over the homeless people sleeping on the streets and he mocked them under his breath. Mary Williams, the waitress at the biker bar who still lived with her mother, the woman who knew what it was like to be abused, who knew what hunger felt like, and who lived an economically insecure life. She was a woman of devout faith. When she was in high school, Mary met a youth minister who seemed to take an interest in her. That minister invited Mary to join the youth group at her church, and she encouraged Mary and taught her that she was deeply and unconditionally loved by God. Through her experience with the church, Mary learned that she was special, beautiful, unique, and lovely in God's eyes. She learned that she was needed in the body of Christ and that her testimony gave power to the gospel, that when she shared her story, other women were empowered to improve their lives as well. She learned that having money was nice, of course, but it was not what gave a person security in life. She learned that only God could give her the peace of mind to help her sleep soundly through the night. Mary volunteered on her days off at the local soup kitchen where she was able to pass on her knowledge of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And while she worked, she was able to shine light, the light of Christ, to all of the bikers who came into the bar. After a few years of working there, some of those hardened bikers began attending a biker church and they gave their lives to Christ. And if you've never heard of it, I swear biker churches are really a thing, and they're amazing. You realize, of course, from these two stories that while John had all the apparent trappings of a blessed life, Mary was the one who was truly blessed. Mary was poor in spirit, meek and humble. And we know from the scriptures that those who are pronounced blessed are not those who claim a robust ego and strong sense of self-worth, but those whose only identity and security is in God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus has reversed the idea of human kingship, so those to whom his kingdom belongs correspond to this reversal. As the king is meek and poor in spirit, so are those in whom his kingdom belongs. The kingdom certainly belongs to Mary Williams. Mary craved righteousness. She hungered for a stronger and stronger relationship with God. Mary was merciful, kind, loving, generous, and so much more. And she acted out her mercy in her life. Because she wasn't just merciful in her mind. Mary was pure in heart. The People's New Testament commentary says that purity of heart is not merely the avoidance of impure thoughts, but 
refers to the single-minded devotion to God appropriate to a monotheistic faith. Faith in the one God requires that one be devoted to God with all one's heart, different from the functional polytheism that results in parceling out oneself to a number of loyalties. You know, in our world, this polytheism can look like someone who is loyal to their favorite athletic team, loyal to their political party, loyal to their job, loyal to their whatever, whatever it is that is not of God, but they give all of their heart to those things. This is the problem. The opposite of purity of heart is a divided heart. You know, attempting to serve two masters. Mary lived her whole life for God. Mary was a peacemaker, spreading the word of God into the dark places of the world and helping people rise up into the light. Mary carries with her the kingdom of heaven in her heart, as well as the promise of heaven in the future. She is comforted by the Lord. She has inherited the earth. She has been fulfilled with righteousness. She has received mercy. She has seen God, and now she shares that God with others. She is a child of God, and she is blessed. Are you blessed? Not by the standards of worldly values, but by the standards of our Heavenly Father. Are you blessed with the kingdom of God in your heart? Do you crave righteousness in your life and do you strive to make God the most important thing in your life? Are you blessed by the hardships as well as the peace in your life? Are you blessed? I ask you again, are you blessed? Are you blessed? If you are, then let's say amen. Amen? Amen. Let's sing now in response to this message. Let's sing together, Let There Be Peace on Earth. Let us walk with each other. 
Almost everything Jesus did in his ministry was counterintuitive, meaning it went against against basic human instincts for self-preservation. When he sent out his disciples to minister to the world, he told them not to take any money or food or supplies. When asked who his neighbor was, he pointed to the one everyone considered an enemy. When talking about the people most honored by God, he pointed to the poor, the sick, the oppressed, the imprisoned, all the people thought to have been punished for unrighteous behavior. And when he spoke the words in our scripture today, he said, blessed are the meek and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Well, none of it makes sense, especially for us living in the post-Darwinian survival of the fittest world. And it was absolutely, categorically, without a doubt, irrational for Jesus to intentionally upset his enemies so that they would finally condemn him to death and nail him to a cross. It was counterintuitive from an earthly perspective, but Jesus was seeing things through the lens of eternity. He was seeing things as God wants us to see things. You see, the disciples were to set out without supplies because Jesus wanted them to know that God would take care of them no matter what. And the Samaritan who Jesus said was our neighbor, Jesus was saying that since God loves all people, that we are supposed to love them all as well, that all people are our neighbors. And when Jesus laid his life down for us, he wasn't giving up. He was setting the stage for the greatest triumph in the history of creation. Because Jesus made such an incredible and selfless sacrifice, we are all blessed with the hope of eternal life with God. When you eat the bread and drink from the cup today, give thanks to God for giving us Jesus, who teaches us to see things from a heavenly perspective and who allows us to be forgiven, especially when we don't deserve it. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread blessed it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, blessed it and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Blessed are we who love you, dear Lord, because we are offered a peace and a reassurance that we didn't have before we knew you. Thank you for your son who gave everything to us in the most incredible display of love and action we will ever know. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit as we eat this bread and drink from this cup and help us to never forget your body broken and your blood shed for us. Amen. Let's sing, oh, take communion, (laughs) come and eat. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. And now let us sing together, the bread of the world in mercy broken. Let all the world 
Remembrance, which you can find printed in the About This Episode segment of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ, Christ died. Christ was raised. Christ, Christ will, will come, come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. And as we depart from this service, let's sing together, Be, Be Thou My Vision. Oh, bright heaven's sun, hide all 